0: All right, so I want to start with talking about this LSU upset over Florida. LSU was a 23-and-a-half-point underdog, and they go into the swamp, and they take care of business against the number six team in the country. So I kind of had a feeling that LSU was going to pull it off during the week. I mean, part of, part of me Okay, all right. part of me didn't want to say it because there was a very good chance that they could get blown up by 40. But so I look at it as— one, it kind of felt like a trap game. So you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Notre Dame and North Carolina game? It kind of felt like the same thing. They already clinched their spot in the SEC championship game. Um, they were kind of looking ahead. Um, they had, they struggled in the first half. Remember against Vandy, um, some of these other teams. So it's kind of been a trend throughout the year. And then they've struggled on defense. I know they, they lead the SEC in sacks, but they struggle against the run. They struggle with communication on the back end. So I mean, all these things that they've like we know that they're they only have the one loss to Texas AM, they're number six, but like everything kind of everything finally came together in terms of everything that can go wrong for this team.
1: It really did and it's too bad because honestly, outside of one fluke penalty, Florida could have very easily won that game. So it wasn't like, you know, Flor I mean Florida obviously didn't play the best game but uh, I, I on the other hand, I think like a lot of other people thought Florida was just going to absolutely steamroll these guys, and I think having no Kyle Pitts hurts a lot. I wonder if that game is different if he plays in that game, but I mean if you are Kyle Trask, and you know, I mean you, you need to have more from your defense. Your defense has to step up and play better against a true freshman quarterback. So uh, all in all, Florida is just going to have to play in a different New Year's Six Bowl this year, and, and they're going to be kicking themselves for for the way that one ended. Man, that was just a weird, ominous game. This was over the field like everything about that was just so strange and really ended up favoring LSU
0: Yeah, I'm sure they didn't give LSU a second thought Preparing for this week. I mean rightfully so LSU they've been bad this year. So I mean why would you you're about to play Alabama next week? so I'm sure they had their their size set on that game and but when I look at this LSU team like They weren't gonna they weren't gonna quit on the season like these guys they're from the south they go to LSU. They're playing Florida. That's a huge game. They weren't going to quit on their season. They weren't going to quit on this game. They were going to show up, and they probably had, they had the same mindset when they're going to Alabama. But you weren't going to beat Alabama, regardless of what you did, if you how much like how much you tried. Like that's just Alabama. But it's different when you're playing Florida. Like these guys were hyped for the game. It Didn't matter what their record was. I think what are they three and five or something like that going into the game. None. I don't know. It was it wasn't a winning record, but I mean none of that mattered going into the game. Like. They're like, we're playing Florida, going in the swamp, last game of the season, got to show up. But those LSU teams, they're going to be back next year. They're going to be good. They had a lot of freshmen that were key con- uh, contributors this year. Uh, Max Johnson, at quarterback. I don't know what their quarterback situation will look like next year with uh, Brendan coming back if he comes back. Um, uh-huh. Keishon Bude, um, Coy Moore, Elias Ricks, uh, BJ Ojoliri. Hopefully they can get Eric Gilbert back, and then all these other sophomores, Jay Ward, Cordo Flott, Stingley, uh, Jenkins, Davis Price, all these guys, these are sophomores. This is a young team. They're going to be back next year, so I mean, watch out for LSU in 2021.
1: And you know they're just going to reload, too, with their recruits. They'll have guys that will come in and probably have someone play right away as a true freshman. That'll be phenomenal. or be There'll be someone that is young and playing on this LSU roster uh, even next year. They just recruit so well. They reload and really just get whoever they want in the SEC, it seems like. So, I mean, LSU, I think we were all surprised that they took such a downturn as they did this year. But, uh, I mean, that's going to be a special moment for those seniors, man. Going out, you know, you, you had the tough go with everything against you, COVID, coming off a national championship a season ago, and everything's against you. You have a bad season in the win-loss column, but you beat Florida, and that's going to that's gonna be the, what they tell their kids about, man. i tell you what.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, so they do need to get another... Offensive genius because they sorely miss Joe Brady, so they needed to do that again. And then um, even though, you know, Max Johnson was good and um, he's the most, you know, say um, mobile out of the three they had out of Finley and Brennan, but he's not, you know, that athletic. And I think that's something that they really need again at the quarterback position when you run this spread offense that you have there needs to be a threat that your quarterback can pull it when you run the read option. And that's something that they really missed this year when all three of those guys were in.
1: So. It's really the trend, too, just across college football, it seems like, is having a guy that can do both, can get you out of situations where you're able to, to be more mobile and be that, uh, you know, extra threat, especially when it comes to third and passing situations. Uh, I'm sure Florida would have liked to have a guy that can tuck it down and run a few times, uh, with Kyle Trask down there being, uh, you know, not necessarily the most mobile. He's twitchy in the pocket, but he's not a guy that's going to take off and and hurt you with his legs. And uh, so I think we're seeing that more and more becoming uh, less of an accessory and more so a necessity across the game of football, really, even the pros, you see it.
0: Yeah, you can't be a statue in the pocket anymore. Uh, Those days are done. Especially if you have an average offensive line, you got to be able to move in some capacity. Um, But going back to this game real quick, so Marco Wilson committed maybe the dumbest penalty that I've ever seen in my life that... So I know a lot of people got on uh, Elijah Moore last year. Remember, he did that celebration in the end zone when they played Mississippi State. But that was just the Egg Bowl. They lost because he decided to throw a shoe. He cost his team a shot at the college football playoff because he wanted to throw a shoe. And he bailed Max Johnson out. So they had four routes that were beyond the sticks. And he threw the check down route for two yards. So, I mean. And it was like third and what? It
1: was like third and some distance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like third
0: and eight something like that. Yeah,
1: it wasn't a check down kind of situation.
0: Yeah, like, he completely bailed them out as in every sense of it. Like, I was, I could not believe it when I saw that. That like he really threw a shoe and cost his team.
1: <laughs> and you could see his teammates, too, right when he did it. They were yeah. like, what are you doing? You saw guys push him in the face mask, just like, Dude, come on! Are you serious? Like you just did that and cost us fifteen yards and a first down on this drive of all drives. Like you could see the emotion from the rest of his teammates; they were not happy with Marco Wilson. Yeah. Uh, another thing worth noting: uh, this LSU offense was stopped. I mean, I know we already said it was third down, but like they they weren't going to probably convert that fourth down. I mean, who's to say? No, they but were on I, the they were on the opposite of, side were, of the
0: fifty anyway.
1: They, they were not going to be in a yeah. position to, to really make. So, I mean, that really does change the entire left of the game. And I mean, if you, you feel bad for him a little bit because it's just like that's going to be how he's remembered in a lot of ways, it's, unless he goes on and has a phenomenal NFL career. But that'll still be the guy who threw the shoe. And how about the refs call, too? The P- pastor, what do you say? Uh that's in conduct throwing the LSU player's shoe 20 yards. <laughs> uh,
0: pretty descriptive penalty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Alabama. So we talked about them earlier, how dominant they were. Um, they were up 38 to three at halftime and Mag Jones hadn't thrown a touchdown pass. Like that is absolutely ridiculous that you were up 35 points on the road at halftime and your quarterback hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. That's how good they are.
1: When you and I were talking before the show, he might be a victim of this team's success. They're going to cannibalize each other when it comes to, Heisman votes. I mean, if he's handing the ball off, he's doing his job. It's not his fault they're up thirty-eight to three. I mean, he's doing everything that's asked of him. I mean, he's just. I mean, it's, it's it's not his fault that Najee Harris is having a day on the ground, and his one guy happens to get open more than the others, and you know. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see how that impacts the Heisman race. But Alabama is an absolute machine's mach, machete coming through butter. Like it's, it's just not even close. It's Alabama in the field right now until they play. Uh, truthfully, I think the only team that really gives them uh, any trouble at all or I'd be interested to see is, is Ohio State and or Clemson. Anyone else, I don't think Notre Dame can hold a candle to them. Uh, I thought maybe Florida would give them more of a game, but after what I saw against LSU, not feeling confident about that. So it's really it's Alabama in the field right now, Kendall, is what it seems.
0: Yeah. Let me read you some stats about LSU. I mean, not LSU, Alabama. So they went hey, t- me. 10-0 and against an all-SEC schedule. They were the first team to win 10 SEC games in a season um won the regular season they won every game by 15 plus two wins over top 10 teams by 17 plus scored over 40 points in their last nine games the lowest one they had was their 39 in the season opener against missouri and that's only because they you know they were done at halftime so i mean no reason to keep going against missouri um and then they didn't give up more than 17 points in their final final six games
1: there's unbelievable in every sense of the word they're unbelievable uh it's hard because that's not really great analysis. Like saying it seems unbelievable, it's like everybody else can see that too. But the level of dominance they're having from a margin of victory perspective is something that we haven't seen, in, it seems like a long time.
0: Yeah, they will be floored by at least three touchdowns on Saturday. Wow! At three least touchdowns? at least
1: what's what's the line at right? In-
0: um, I have no idea. Actually, I don't know. I mean, let me see. Let me give you a guess. I'm gonna say, are you looking it up?
1: Seventeen points. Seventeen is points. What they are being spotted. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I left you hanging there. I didn't realize what happened.
0: Uh <laughs> No worries. I mean, seven. They'll cover that for sure. I mean, they might. Yeah, that'll be. They'll probably be up seventeen points in the first quarter. To be honest. Golly. So I'm mean, gonna find
1: out. We're going to find out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, give me some keys. So I mean, I know we both think Alabama will win this game, but how can Florida pull off the upset? What do you think they have to do?
1: I think they got to hold the ball. They got to sustain drives. The best way to beat this Alabama team is going to be to try and uh, keep it from getting into a shootout. So if you can run the ball effectively, as uh, you can have high completion percentage passes. Uh, I mean, which sounds again like black and white. Uh, very obvious things to say. But for Florida, you want to keep the explosive Alabama offense off the field as long as possible, give your defense a break, and then create extra possessions with turnovers. I mean, if they got to get creative in the, in the kicking game and run a fake punt or get some onside kicks, they're going to need to touch the ball more than this Alabama team if they want to have a shot to win this game.
0: No, they do. Yeah, you brought up the running game, and they really haven't run the ball that well this year. It's kind of um, been a knock on them. But, yeah, you said it. Um, you got to score points. You got to do something. You have to score at least 40 points to be in the game against Alabama. Um, you said it. You got to You got be creative. It's not going to be enough maybe just having Kyle Trash drop back 50 times. Um, got to be able to move the ball on third down. Got to extend drives uh, in the red zone, too. Got to score. Field goals Field goals will not beat Alabama. It's
1: going to have to be six. 100%. It's going to have to be six. Can't settle for threes.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's, it's pretty obvious, but I mean – now they just got to execute it. So, I mean, it's gonna be
1: fun, man. I think this Florida team's got a little more fight in them. I'd have them probably more on notice if they hadn't lost last week. Uh, I think maybe that creates a sense of urgency for Dan Mullen and this team. They still got the SEC championship to play for, um, but I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see just how resilient they are if that game fires them up after a loss, or do they just pack it in and say, "Hey, we're not going to the college ball playoff." You know, good season, boys. Let's you know, let's go get ready to play in some some other bowl game. <laughs>
0: Um, Let's talk about the Heisman. So, I thought even before Florida played on Saturday night and Kyle Trask committed those three first-half turnovers, that that Devontae Smith should be the new favorite to win the Heisman. The Heisman should go to the best player in college football, and I think the best player in college football this season has been Devontae Smith.
1: I mean, it's hard to argue with you based on his numbers. The guy's got over 200 yards multiple times this season at nearly (laughs) all points – in the last however many games he's played he's been the best player on the field uh he's a force to be reckoned with i'm really interested to see how much love they give to a receiver um at this point in time with with the heisman trophy because i think i think you're right i think he has a very very strong case to be uh considered the best player in the country but it's just turned so much more into a quarterback award so i'm still probably going to stick with my horse of mac jones uh i guess he wasn't my horse until kyle trask fell off the bandwagon i was I was really high on Kyle Trask for a while there, Kendall. But after this week, looking like his Heisman hopes are, are all but dashed, so uh, I think I'm going to ride with with Mac Jones. I think it's going to be hard, uh, especially if he has a big SEC championship game and maybe throws three, maybe four touchdowns. I think he's got a pretty good shot to take this one home.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, what was it? So like it's it kind of feels like the same how it was back in um, what was it '97 when Charles Woodson won it. That, so that year you could have easily given it to quarterback. You could have, you could have given it to Payne Manning, uh, Ryan Leaf, or you could have given it to Randy Moss, that receiver. But, I mean, they did the right thing where they gave it to the best player in college football that season. And I kind of feel like that's the same thing with Devontae Smith, that when he steps on the field, there's no better player. He gets it done every single week. I know uh, against Arkansas, um, his stats were kind of low. But, I mean, even when his stats were low uh, for receiving returns a punt, and then, like you said, with Mac Jones, he'll probably go out there against this Florida defense and throw for four hundred yards and four touchdowns. But probably two two hundred those two hundred those yards and two of those touchdowns are going to be to uh, to, to Devonte Smith. So I mean, I think he will he will win it. He would be the first receiver to win the Heisman since Desmond Howard did back in nineteen ninety one, and that would cement one of the greatest careers that we've ever seen from a receiver. So like, it feels like forever ago when he caught that game winning. Uh, touchdown pass from Tua in the national championship. Like that seems like a decade ago, but that was freshman Devontae Smith. And then um, this year he became the SEC all-time leader in receiving touchdowns. So, I mean, to add a Heisman trophy to that, one of the greatest receivers we've ever seen in the history of college football.
1: He's really benefited from being the number one guy this year with rugs gone. Um, you know, he's just been so much more of a, of a target as we think. I think we all expected he would be, but he's taken it and just ran with that role uh in, in such a um i mean he's he's taken advantage of every opportunity he's gotten so far and really made the most of his time being the number one guy there in tuscaloosa so uh i, th- I think it's going to be a, a, i mean i think you painted a pretty good picture of of how he could win that heisman uh, Another guy we're not talking about as much naji harris
0: oh he's, man yeah be in that
1: conversation a little bit too so i'm very interested to see just how much they weigh these different skill position players Uh, in terms of production, and I mean, how do you, it it, it would not surprise me, it would surprise me a little bit, but it it would not be uh, unwarranted if it was three Alabama players at the Heisman Trophy ceremony,
0: that was it. Honestly, like three, at least three or four of them, I mean, all three would probably be in the ceremony, you know, they'll they'll do a Zoom one this year, Um, but honestly, like you said, it wouldn't be surprising to see uh, three of them at the ceremony, it wouldn't be surprising if they finished in the top three in the voting. To be honest, I would not be surprised if I see Devontae Smith, one, Mac Jones, two, Najee Harris, three. And then it probably won't happen because of Kyle Trask's his stats, so he'll still get plenty of votes. But it would not surprise me if they are the top three vote-getters this year.
1: That make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense. It's, it's hard to make a, a case for three players that would deserve it more than, than those.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's go to another game, Uh, a rematch between Clemson and Notre Dame for the ACC championship game with major playoff implications on the line. Clemson has won the ACC each of the last five years, but this is the first time where it feels like they're actually playing somebody who can dethrone them. Like, this is the first time. Every other year, it's, well, how many points is Clemson going to win by this time? I don't know, probably 30, 35 or something like that. But I mean, this is the first time where you can actually pick the opponent to be Clemson. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I actually think that Clemson will win by a couple of touchdowns, but I mean, at least they'll be challenged this year.
1: And I like that. I think that's good for college football. I think that's great for the ACC. It's, I mean, I know there's other things involved with TV deals and NBC and all of that, but if Notre Dame could join the ACC, that would be phenomenal. I think you're seeing the way that that's played out in this conference so far. So, uh, it's it's just it's good for the game that we got some parity and uh, but I, I, I'm with you. If, if Dabo swings on the other sideline, it's hard to, to beat a team twice, let alone a team that's really well-coached like Clemson is with um, the culture they have established there. So I'm with you. I don't think they beat him again, especially with Trevor Lawrence back, but it's going to be a fun game, and I've got this one circled, underlined, highlighted, starred, all that, Kendall. But I, I mean, we, we could see Notre Dame in the playoff, especially with, with Florida losing, and, and we'll see what A&M does down the stretch, but uh, would not surprise me if we saw Notre Dame and even if they lost to Clemson.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. I think um, we'll, we'll get into this later, but like right now I think that the four teams that they have right now will be the four teams that end up in the playoff. Like It's just going to yeah. be rearranged in the way they have it. But um, let's dive deeper into this, this Clemson-Notre Dame game. Um, so biggest thing, obviously, Clemson gets Trevor Lawrence back. Um, and even though DJ went out there, he balled through for 400 yards, and nearly pulled it off on the road and pr- couldn't play any better than what he did. I know I've seen or heard people um, talk about, well, uh, Trevor Lawrence probably would have the similar stats and stuff like that, so that kind of um, doesn't take anything away from Notre Dame. Yeah, that's maybe true, but it's still Trevor Lawrence, and having him out there makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, it just changes the whole vibe on your sideline for your team, having more confidence that your quarterback, your QB1 is in the game. That's a big deal, I think, for just the psyche of a team. But I do think there's some merit to to that. I don't know that Trevor Lawrence would play substantially better from a a production standpoint than DJ did in that first game. But uh, it's it's not going to be on the road. It's going to be neutral site. It's going to be postseason play, something that Clemson is all too familiar with. Uh, And it's going to be an offensive scheme that Clemson has seen already. So that's going to be, I think, the biggest difference is Clemson being able to get stops against a quarterback like Ian Book, who I think is a great player, but it's just really tough when, when you're as well coached as Clemson is. Uh, I don't anticipate them giving up as many points as they did in the first match of this game, Kendall.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, also for Clemson, um, if they're going to pull it off this time, they have to get the running game going. That was a huge thing last um, last time they played. Notre Dame had a, a great game plan. They said, we're going to focus on Travis Etienne and we're going to force DJ to beat us, beat, beat us through the air. And they did it. He had... 26 yards on 18 carries, so just 1.6 yards per carry. But um, the difference for me this time is defensively. So they get three starters back that they didn't have in the first matchup, and you know what happened last time. That's not gonna happen to a Brent Venables defense again. They'll be, will um, be way much. They'll be much better uh, against the pass, against the run, in every aspect. So they'll be good. I mean, I don't know. Like I think. I like Clemson comfortably in this one. I think that they, they'll roll. I think they'll look a lot better than they did the first time. Um, they've been really good these last two weeks. They've had two weeks off now, so plenty of time to game plan, plenty of time to get healthy. So, I like yeah, I like Clemson by at least two touchdowns.
1: Especially when the chips are down in big games, when it's win or go home, or when it's a championship kind of atmosphere, that's when this Clemson team, this Clemson culture, really shows itself. And so I think the experience and having Trevor Lawrence back will be, really, really big uh, differentiators for this game.
0: Yeah. USC. So they win their third game in uh am <laughs> no, you already shaking your head. So they win their third game this season um, in the final minute. Uh, they win a thriller at the Rose Bowl. So right now FBI has them as a 49% chance to make the playoff. That's fourth highest in the country. It's actually higher than Clemson and Texas A&M. You were shaking your head. So – You don't think that USC has a legitimate shot at the playoff?
1: Well, no, I'm just shaking my head because I think it's such a crazy year that USC is undefeated playing for a conference title. And we're not even really talking about that as being a a playoff contender. I think a lot of teams still take a one-loss Notre Dame. Uh, You know, they take probably a a team like um, a one-loss Alabama if they were to lose to Florida. Like, there's a lot of things where uh, the rules of the game are being – a little bit different than they have in the past and that usually we see, hey, win your conference, if you're a Power 5 team, go undefeated, and you will have a 100% chance of the playoff. And so if USC is going to win this Pac-12 title, they'll be undefeated, and they'll be sitting right where everyone asked them to be to make the playoffs. So I think if you're USC, you're kind of sitting there with palms up like, man, what do we need to do? And it's just crazy with this COVID year, the number of games, and the non-conference, just all of those things have really hurt USC Uh, to the point where it's like, man, they they could have been playing for uh, some pretty exciting uh, prizes if they had been in a more typical year. So you feel bad for them, but uh, shaking my head more so in just the fact that I think it's crazy that they're not even being considered as much as some of these other teams.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the only way they get in um, is if Clemson loses, obviously. They'll be out of if they have two losses. And then if Northwestern can beat Ohio State, because I think... um, I don't know, because I feel like it's hard to leave them out if, like you said, they're undefeated, power five champ, they've played the same number of games as Ohio State, and they're undefeated versus Ohio State having one loss. Ohio State probably still get in, especially if Clemson loses, but I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, they're undefeated. Got to have a discussion at least.
1: It's We're gonna. We're going to learn a lot about the committee, especially this season, I think in terms of what they look at exactly. let us I mean, Ohio State, I'm thinking about quality wins. They have a win over Indiana, which is obviously a great win. But outside of that, you know, who have they really played that you can't stay as comfortable with, with USC's schedule? So uh, USC, I think, is honestly going to hurt a little bit. I think I said this last week. Uh, the Pac-12 is hurting a little bit because they, they don't have as much uh, – I guess glamour as some of the other conferences, they don't have yeah. some of those teams that are ranked in the top ten. I know Oregon was going to be um, kind of that team. Everyone thought at the beginning of the year that maybe had the best chance. USC was sort of that dark horse, but I mean, if USC or if if UCLA was was ranked, you know, they're probably it's probably a different conversation right
0: now. Yeah, every time, like every time we give some love to a Pac twelve team, um, did it a couple weeks ago with Washington, then they go and lose as soon as they become ranked, and then Colorado looked like a good team, thought that. You know the Pac-12 should change the rules so that Colorado and USC could play, and they go out and lose by 17 to Utah. So I mean, yeah, USC. They, I mean they don't they don't have a quality opponent on their schedule. I think the best team they played was, um, what well, my eyes probably Arizona State, and uh-huh. Arizona State lost to UCLA. So I mean, yeah, can't can't put their resume up with anybody else. You can just only hope that because they're undefeated that they would get in.
1: It's such a tough year. It's a tough year in that way. So you feel for them, but at the end of the day, there is going to be some good faith by this committee. I think like you're going to see if it does come down to the head to head, and you think all things are equal, I would be surprised if the committee doesn't take Ohio State just because Ohio State in previous years has been the team that's made the most noise in a full length schedule. So there, there is I think some uh good faith by the committee of teams that they you know are going to give the nod to because of. Whether it's branding or past success or whatever it is, like just having the sense of, hey, we we have a smaller sample size in Ohio State, we have a smaller sample size at USC, but we know based on history, these teams are better.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Ohio State, they play Northwestern. They play at 9 a.m. Uh, on the West Coast. Kind of. I don't. They. I didn't. I thought they would. They were switching it around, but they have Ohio State and Northwestern, and then. Um, Oklahoma and Iowa State in the morning. We'll talk about that game later. But I mean, I don't know. I don't like these games on the same time. Like, s- like switch. I mean, I know they have the Big Ten and ACC one usually on at the same time, and they're trying to. Um, they're probably just trying to solo that Clemson one, so there's no other game on. But I mean, they got to do a better job of scheduling and like space them out. I don't have two 9 a.m. conference championship games.
1: Yeah, you got to stagger. I mean, and you're hurting over there on the west coast, man, because you got a set your alarm to roll over out of bed and make sure you're up in time for, for an 9 a.m. kickoff, man. I mean, that's tricky business. I'm, I'm grateful over here in Texas we get a little bit more time, but still, those early kicks and having both at the same time, I'm with you. Let the, let the people watch some ball, man. Let let these teams get their shine. They worked all year to play in the, you know, conference championship game. Let's, let's let these kids play.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, it really um, like it really didn't hit me as much about, like, the different, like, start times until um, – until I moved to Nashville, and then talking to other people, they're like when they're talking about, um, they're like, yeah, on the East Coast, like we don't even, like when they say they don't know what's going on on the West Coast, like they literally do not know because they're not up and they're not watching them, like, <laughs> like makes we don't, sense. yeah, they learn the next day about what happened, like, makes
1: sense, man. Pac-12 After Dark's a real thing.
0: Oh yeah, going out is one a.m. You're like, is that a is that USC playing? Look at your watch and it the says, worst
1: is Hawaii.
0: Oh, yeah, there was like, n- yeah, because they started like nine o'clock on the on like in the west coast. So, I mean,
1: late. yeah, late I mean, starts over yeah. man. So, I mean, okay. it, I mean, it's Hawaii, though. It's a thing at home
0: games. yeah, but I mean, if you're out on Saturday night, you know, go get some food, whatever, you can still watch some football like at, at two in the morning.
1: That is the beauty of it. I will say, having football late has been a very nice perk,
0: yeah. Um, But yeah, let's go back to the Ohio State game. So they play Northwestern for the second time in three years. Ohio State's won the conference each of the last three seasons. Um, I thought Northwestern, you know, had a little bit of a chance after the Wisconsin game because I was really impressed at how they looked. They were really good defensively. Um, They had a capable quarterback and they looked more athletic than they had in years. And then they go and lose to Michigan State and then um, Ohio State, you know, cruises through them and they look as good as they have all season. So, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think all these games, Really, I really don't think these games are going to be that close, to be honest. I think Ohio State will win by at least a couple touchdowns against Northwestern as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, for this game specifically, Ohio State is just built so much different than the rest of the Big Ten in terms of the athletes they have. Like, you yeah. look across the board, Ohio State's matchups are favoring them.
0: They're an SEC every, team every in the in the big, they're an SEC team in the Big Ten, pretty much Absolutely. with with the guys they Absolutely. have.
1: Absolutely, so much team speed and that just really shows itself, especially against a team like Northwestern. Uh, I'm with you, kinda. I don't think this one will be too close. I wish it was close. I like Northwestern. Like the story, love Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, so I would I would be pleasantly surprised and, and happy for Northwestern if they were to come out here and give them a dogfight or even heck, they win the game, man. Then we <laughs> really have some anarchy on our hands. But, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm sure some USC fans will be rooting for the Wildcats come Saturday. But, yeah, man, I don't think it's going to happen. Too much talent, too much team speed for Ohio State. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I mean, wild scenario. What happens if Northwestern wins? So, they win. Um, say, Clemson loses. Uh, who else? So, I mean, Ohio State would be out. And then maybe uh, USC loses too. So, what do we do with Northwestern?
1: You know, man, I think it's gonna be, uh, that's going to be a great question. If USC loses, you said.
0: Yeah, so they lose. Um, obviously, Northwestern beat Ohio State. Um, what's it called? And then Notre Dame beats Clemson.
1: Gosh, man, you have some happy people in Total, College Station, Texas. Tell you what.
0: Oh, that's true. Total anarchy.
1: They they might they might be sneaking their way in the twelfth man. How about that? I, th- I think they probably benefit the most from that. Mm-hmm. Again, I know they're not a conference champion, but. I mean, you'd see probably a lot of teams that are conference champions if that ends up being the case. So, I don't know. It's going to be fun. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. But if if there's that much anarchy on Championship Saturday, like for the Aggies to make a push and sneak into that playoff.
0: Yeah. I mean, something that's kind of been, like, disappointing this year is, like, um, there's not a lot of drama in college football, especially within the top eight. Like, um, so, like, when I turned on the selection show last week, like, I was like I was watching it, and I was like I don't know why I'm watching this. Like I know it's gonna be the same thing as it was last week. I don't know why I'm watching to see who's ranked twenty third in the country. Like
1: it really (laughs) is. Yeah, there's parity at the bottom, and I I, some some weird teams are ranked. I shouldn't say weird, but some unorthodox teams we don't usually see in those top twenty five rankings, like Coastal Carolina, which is I think everyone's most uh, surprising story this year. I mean one of the most fun teams in America to to follow, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the, the rich just stay rich. And I think I said it maybe even last week, too. The culture has really shown itself to be consistent and been the largest differentiating factor in this weird COVID-ridden season we've had. Uh, I guess we get a little bit of drama here with Florida. Yeah. Florida, Florida losing to LSU, obviously, it was a fun upset. And there's a little bit of parity there. But I'm with you as a whole. I mean, I, I expect this top four to stay pretty rigid, honestly. I think we'll see these top four teams uh all in the college football playoff. I don't see any movement after this Saturday.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, like I think this year, like if anything else, like kind of shows um, what's it called that uh, it shows that like we don't need more than four teams in the playoff. Like mm. I don't need an eight team. Like I know Coastal Carolina is a good story, but I'm sorry, I don't want to watch Alabama and Coastal Carolina in a semifinals game. So Alabama could win seventy to three. Like I don't, I don't want I don't want to see that. Or uh, who else? Or you say USC? You know, um, talk about them getting the playoff. But we know if they got in the playoff, they would get run by forty. But I don't want to see USC at number seven and play Clemson in round one. Like, they'll be, yeah. Clemson will be up forty-five to nothing in the first quarter. <laughs> like, I don't want to see that.
1: <laughs> it would be fun from like a anticipation perspective. Yeah,
0: something to talk about not, every week.
1: Yeah. I would love to watch that if it were just a bowl game, but if it's actual tournament style, like I don't want to see Clemson mess around with, like you said, like, if they have to play USC, I mean, I'm sure it'd be a, an exciting buildup and maybe even a good game for a few quarters. Who knows how that game actually goes, but I think that just makes it uh, more than you probably need to deal with for these student athletes. and uh, As a whole, Clemson's probably the better team. Why are we discounting the incredible regular season they've had by making them play? More games with teams that are probably not going to be worth their time, which I know is a little harsh. I think there's exceptions to that. I don't think that's hard and fast. If, okay, this game isn't worth you know a team's time if you know Alabama does play the whoever number eight would be at the time or you know whatever that looks like. I'm just saying I'm with you. Eight teams is too much. Let's keep college football simple. Every week matters. It's worked so far. Let's not change it.
0: Yeah, and well, I mean like we're already like I mean other than every other year, so like. Um... I remember last year when we were talking about the playoff, like trying to find the fourth team was going to be um, either it was like Oklahoma, uh, Baylor, and then somebody else, and we were talking about it. I mean, like, why are we arguing? We're ar- over here arguing over who's the fourth best team, and we're trying to make an eighteen playoff. Like, yeah, there's there's three. Te- it's always um, what's it called? Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. It it, it is what it is. It's always probably going to be that way for a while, and then. We're in the four team we can find. We don't need eight teams in there. Like, yeah, it's just not necessary, really.
1: Yeah, and I think, especially the way that the College football Playoff has played out the last few seasons, uh, I mean, we've been able to see this playoff system work. We've seen four seeds win the whole thing. You know, we've seen uh, controversial results that end up being, you know, very much uh, the right decision when it comes down to some of the scores of those semifinal games. So. I mean, the model works. You hit it on the head. There's there's no reason to stretch this thing much larger than four
0: teams. Yeah. Um, let's deep diaper into this Oklahoma and Iowa State game. So we know there's no – none of these teams are fighting for, you know, a chance at the playoff, but it is a rematch. Um, Oklahoma's won the conference, I think – is it six straight years? Five something or six? Like something, yeah, cra- something Something yeah, crazy. like that. But, I mean, um, Iowa State beat him back in week three, 37-30. Um, And since then, Oklahoma hasn't lost. This has been a completely different team. Spencer Rattler is playing much better than he was uh, against those, you know, Kansas State, uh, Iowa State early in that Texas game. But defensively, so on their six-game winning streak, they've allowed 14 points or less in four of their games. Um, And then in the game where they did allow 28 to Texas Tech, they won by 34. So
1: I'm with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see just how much Brees Hall is able to hold up. I know he's had a lot of carries this year. I think he's leading rusher in the country last time I checked. So if he's able to run the ball effectively, it could be a long day for Oklahoma. But, I mean, Spencer Rattler's growing up in front of her eyes, coming into his own, playing some really good football. Um, and they're just well-coached. I think especially when it comes to these championship games, Kendall, I look really closely at who's the better coach team. And uh, it's, it's going to be close. I think, you know, you got obviously Matt Campbell and Lincoln Riley, two of the best coaches in the conference if not all of college football uh but i i think when it comes down to talent and coaching combined oklahoma is going to be a tough out especially after that uh you know the, the regular season that they were able to have
0: yeah spencer rattler heisman 2021 start the campaign
1: <laughs> i think you might be onto something yeah i don't know uh, being a being a waco i hope you're wrong but <laughs> it would not surprise me if seven found himself in new york this time last this time next year
0: yeah i mean i try not to give Heisman predictions, especially a year out. I mean, look at look at how it's been like the last couple of years. Like this year, um, like this year, I think Devontae Smith should win it. I didn't have Devontae Smith on my radar going into the year. If any, if an Alabama receiver was going to win it, I thought Jalen Waddle, um, and then um, Joe Burrow last year. No one, no one had Joe Burrow winning the Heisman except Joe Burrow's dad. Um, right. <laughs> Kyler Murray um, knew he was good, knew he can be good, didn't know he'd win the Heisman. So I mean. I don't, know. I don't know, who knows, somebody from, maybe Keenan Slovis wins it next year, it surprises everybody.
1: It's always somebody that nobody's talking about before the year starts, which is funny because it seems like we exhaust every single Heisman option in the preseason, and it's always somebody that we didn't really talk about too much, or slipped through the cracks, or wasn't even a starter maybe, and ends up having the year that they do, and so I'm with you, maybe a year's too soon, but. If I had to play as a bet right now, I think Spencer Rattler's a, not a, not a bad horse to ride at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, so speaking of the Big Twelve, what do you make of Texas' uh, their decision to bring back Tom Herman?
1: Gosh, I think my first thought is, are they serious? <laughs> I, think, I think my first thought is, when, I mean, why? What have you seen that's made you feel excited about keeping Tom Herman? Um, wins and losses, I get that he still is is you know a guy that has been successful from, from that point, and that's what it's really all about. But just some of the things that I don't know to be one million percent true, but from a point where I'm close enough to where I give some weight to them, uh, the Texas culture is just very bad. Like You see guys transferring out. You see guys like Caden uh, Stearns, who'd opt out of the season, uh, who was a captain, who could have come back. Anytime your captain opts out, yeah. that says a lot. Kendall. So I'm, I'm confused as to the attitude and the culture that is being cultivated in austin texas right now because from a win-and-loss standpoint uh there's no question that they can continue to be mediocre which is not accepted in you know longhorn culture it's, it's not okay to be six and six but tom Herman will be a guy that can get them six and six or better in the coming years and you know they'll be they'll be relevant when it comes to bowl season but uh i'm sort of scratching my head as to why they're not demanding more of him when this is a very demanding culture and a very demanding fan base. Uh, I'm surprised to see that I already came out and said no, we're going to stick with him. So that was uh, interesting to me. They didn't at least test the waters and and see who else they could have got for that job because you know they have deep pockets. There could get a oh, big yeah. big name if they wanted it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Tom Herman was pretty close to becoming the next Arizona State. I mean, uh, Arizona coach. I think that's. I thought that's where he was headed. But um, before we get into another coach, um, so you brought up Caden Stearns talk about how he opted out during the season. Um, you know, this is a different type of season, COVID, everything going on. Um, we've seen guys for the last four years now where they opt out of bowl games. And then uh, this year, guys opted out for the whole season. Uh, Jamar Chase, Michael Parsons, high draft picks. They'll be top five, top 10 picks. Um, don't want to, you know, deal with everything on campus, COVID, everything going on. No problem with any of that. So what happens when everything goes back to normal? Will we still see guys opting out of their whole junior year? Will we still see guys... We saw Chuba Hubbard opt out this weekend. uh, Terrace Marshall a couple weeks ago. Will we see guys opting out seven, eight games into the season?
1: Wow, that's a great question. something I hadn't given quite as much thought to, but I think that's a fair point. I mean, you see guys in the NBA doing it, I mean, guys taking internships and just hanging out for a year, and you know, I'm sure they're not hanging out, I'm sure they're training and working and, and developing whatever they need to develop before the next level, but I think football is different to the point where there's a culture in place to where you are a tough guy. Like, if you are not a tough guy, that is frowned upon, whether right or wrong, it's frowned upon, in the world that is football. So I'm a scout, and I see a kid who's had a little bit of success his first couple of years on camp, he's going to be you know, a junior and he wants to sit out his junior season. I would think that would play poorly for a lot of front offices. And I think in a lot of ways, probably limit them uh, from, from being able to make that, you know, that first round kind of jump. Obviously there's going to be guys that are great talents. Like if Trevor Lawrence didn't play this season, nobody would have batted an eye COVID or not, he would have still been, you know, probably a top 10 pick, which is a unique situation. But um, I would think that would probably be frowned upon culturally in the world that is football, to, to not be a tough guy and to not, uh, you know, go out and, and, and play all of your eligibility all the way through, at least through your junior season, man. You got you got to play the junior season.
0: Yeah, because um, I, I look at a guy like Derek Stingley, so this year. Um, obviously, like, obviously, I don't know uh, his situation or anything going on. I don't know what he's thinking. Um, but he saw his teammate, Jamar Chase, opt out for the entire year. Stingley's a guy who will be a top-ten pick next year, will be the first corner, if not the first defensive player, drafted um, he's dealt with injuries this year so I mean we know what he is we know what kind of corner he is so I mean I don't know it would be interesting to see what he decides to do and if he does it if that if this becomes a, a new norm in college football
1: I almost hope for his sake he would have that competitive fire to say no I want to come back I want to accomplish the goals that I have for myself at LSU I want to be a guy who uh, you know propels the LSU defense back to where it needs to be um, I think that would be even more so beneficial for a player's stock. I get there's the concern for injury, uh, especially if there's a history already there, but when it comes down to it, man, you got to love football to be able to do it in the NFL, or, or so I've heard, or so you would think, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I hope not just for the sake of college football and for um, everything that we've come to love about it. I hope that it's not so much of a, a business and so transactional to where guys sit out, but I definitely, I see the merit for both sides. And so it's not for me to say, if you have a family situation, you got to take care of mom and dad. Why? I mean, you know, I, I get it. I totally get it. But at the same time, as a fan, as, a, as a, someone who observes the game, like you and I do, hope guys stick around, man. It's fun to watch them play.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, so, like, I heard someone, uh, heard someone talk about it a while ago, um, if college football will consider, you know, letting guys be eligible after their second year. And when I look at it, I know like some guys will like they're they're kind of ready. So like we look at Jamar Chase, if Jamar Chase was available in last year's draft, he's probably the first receiver taken. He's probably a top 10 pick. But um, and then we see guys in the past like Maurice Corette and Mike Williams try to leave after their freshman year. And I don't know, maybe they can. Maybe some guys physically can. But there's a huge difference between being an 18 and 19 year old trying to go to the pros versus being a 21 and 22 year old from a physical aspect from a mental aspect like you need reps you need um the coaching you need uh the weight training like you need all those things I think those three years are really key so I don't like I don't like the idea of kind of suggesting would they let guys leave after their second year
1: yeah that makes no sense to me either I know the NBA is all about the one and done now and it doesn't even matter where guys go to school anymore because they're going to be there for a semester tops and then go and declare for the NBA but you hit it right on the head there's so much development that goes on from when you're an 18 year old on signing day to to, when you're taking college classes in, in that college weight room and getting the college nutrition I mean that's huge also the X's and O's part of it from high school to college that jump is enormous so it would be I think, a huge disservice to a lot of these players to the longevity of their NFL career if they're asked, or if they're given the option to to take, you know, just two years of school and then bounce to the NFL. I think that we'd see a lot. I think we'd see even shorter NFL careers, and probably even more, uh, I don't want to say this, but potentially even more injuries. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, definitely it's definitely dangerous to put a, you know, a 19-year-old kid out there, and you got um, what is it, any of these guys, you know, TJY Miles Garrett rushing at you, or you got you know, Jamal Adams screaming down from 15 yards away. Like, it's a tough situation to put any 19-year-old kid into. Like, it's different from um, NBA. Like, those guys get, like, you know, you get pushed around. But it's different from, you know, taking a car crash from 25 yards away as, a, as an 18-year-old kid. So.
1: And why would you want to, right? Like, why would you <laughs> want to? You want to probably just enjoy – being the big man on campus, you got all your meals paid for, you get cool Nike gear with all your boys. I mean, I get there's parts of it that you don't love going to class and you don't love the different, um, you know, having all of your hours planned out for you as a college athlete. I'm sure you know you you were a college athlete as well. Um, That grind is is not enjoyable in a lot of ways, but it is a rite of passage I think does make you better for for the pros, I would assume.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's go back to some of these coaches. Jim Harbaugh, so – One year just left on his deal it's been reported last week that he was offered a new contract and that he's getting interest from nfl teams what do you think he should do
1: from jim harbaugh and michigan's gonna let me stay around might as well stay around but if i'm the person making those decisions at michigan jim harbaugh not the jim harbaugh experiment is no longer working out at michigan like i i why they would offer him another contract is very confusing to me Uh, I think his uh, knowledge of the game would be well suited for the pros from what I understand about him and his background. Maybe go be, you know, an analyst or quality control or maybe a smaller role in the pros and then kind of reevaluate what you want to do. But if if I'm Jim Harbaugh and I get to make that decision and Michigan wants me around, I will collect that check all year long to just lose to Iowa State and maybe finish for, you know, a decent bowl game and, I mean, it's it's remarkable how much patience they've had with him throughout yeah. this time.
0: Yeah, I think they said his new contract is really incentive based, so they're not going to pay him obviously the nine million dollars that he gets this year. He doesn't deserve elite level money; shouldn't get Dabble Swing or Nick Saban money. Um, but yeah, the incentives are in there. Obviously, got to beat Ohio State, got to win the Big Ten. So I mean, his salary would be dictated on that kind of thing. So I think mean, I think it's good in terms of that aspect of it and i think jim harwell he wants to stay in michigan there's a reason he went to michigan there's a reason he went back to his alma mater he wants to win he wants to you know bring him back to national prominence this is what he wants to do and um also too like if he becomes ugly and you know he's kind of forced out then then he can't go back to michigan so jim harwell is not that old of a guy that you were a player um you were a coach there, and then, you know, if it gets ugly, then you're not going to want to go back ever for anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have that bad taste in your mouth. I think if you have a way to have an amicable split and you can go and bounce and play, not play, be a part of the NFL game again, because you know they're probably a part of them that wants to go back to the pros after the success he had there. So it makes a lot of sense for him to take an NFL job at some point. Uh, I would be wildly surprised if he took – coordinator job in the nfl anytime soon but the incentive-based contract makes a lot of sense to me if i'm michigan
0: yeah i don't know like when i when i was like i was thinking about like in terms of uh not wanting to leave and stuff like that i thought of uh john elway with the broncos where elway should have been gone years ago to be honest with some of the stuff that he's done but i mean can't fire john elway
1: yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a tough conversation, huh? Hey, you're the greatest player to ever come through our franchise. Thanks. I mean, same thing with Michael Jordan and the Hornets, right? Yeah, like, you can't
0: fire those people. You like can't you fire
1: can't fire Michael
0: Jordan. <laughs> he's got he's got to leave on his own, like cause you can't like John Elway. He won two Super Bowls there. He won another um, as the GM, and he like um obviously he loves living in the Denver area. He's been there pretty much his whole adult life. Like he's like yeah, well I can't leave. Can't come back yeah, to the stadium. I can't go yeah, yeah, can't well, back yeah. to the stadium if they fire me.
1: There's no there's no easy way to get out of that kind of role. So it, mm-hmm. it is kind of a, a sticky situation to where maybe you put too many eggs in one basket, but yeah, man, this is all it's all gonna be very interesting to see just how much he um, weighs the opportunity of, of what the NFL would look like if I'm if I'm, you know, Jim Harbaugh.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, J.D., I want to always thank you, man, for agreeing to come on the podcast. Definitely the best guest I have, man. Best in the business. (laughs) Always great insight, man.
1: You flatter me. I appreciate you, man. Best part of my week. We say we run it back again next Monday, huh? Oh, let's make it happen. Saturday.
0: Exactly. Love it,
1: bro. Thanks for having me on. It's always a blast.
0: Anytime.